Soft stuff, rock, 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 and Another heavy metal stuff, rock, 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 and Just a little bit of jazz, rock, 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 and What do you think? Just I like love that. it. That, that was great. Thank you. Thanks for this. <laughs> Somebody's laughing. Big laughs out in the hall. Howdy, folks. Mangy Fedlock's here. Jesus showed up back on earth, so Trump set up a meeting. Figured he would meet with him, offer some kind of greeting. Jesus then agreed that they'd meet up at Mar-a-Lago. After he had finished in Detroit and in Chicago, Trump said, Mr. Jesus, you're described as mild and meek. Frankly, from my point of view, you come across as weak. Spending time with me, though, ought to boost your brand a bit. Trump and Jesus, think of that, we'd surely be a hit. Hmm. Jesus listened thoughtfully, then got a little smile. Moved a few steps back and told Trump, stand there for a while. Clouds above began to part, then sang a heavenly choir. Lightning struck Trump. Jesus spoke. Guess what? He just been fired. <laughs> I think that's about the way it would play out. I, I think so Thanks too. For listening. Thank you. Bruce W. Nelson, also known as Mangy Fetlocks, getting us started today. Um, you know, the news that there's no. Uh, there's no um, absolute presidential immunity. <laughs> uh, came too late in the day for uh, Mangy Fetlocks to do a song about it today, but I'm guessing he'll have one about it tomorrow. And I will be here tomorrow um, preparing for a little vacation because my daughter is coming to town tomorrow night. So I'm taking off Thursday and Friday and then Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. So I know what you were thinking because we talked about it on Friday when Marcy Wheeler was here which is that I, I won't be on the air on Friday. And I've been putting together some best of shows to run. And I thought, what can I possibly put on Friday when people tune in specifically to hear Marcy Wheeler? So I went back into the Wayback Machine, went back through my archives and found her very first appearance on this show. And it was about 13 years ago. Yeah, we've known each other for a while. Um, after a visit to Washington, D.C., during which she and I hung out and bonded. So I'm going to play that for you on Friday, followed by some fun entering the weekend musical stuff. Um, but, but never fear, because there was breaking news this morning. Breaking news. In fact, uh, I will start, uh, with this, um, from Neil Cutchell, Cutchell, who um, is a former acting solicitor general. He's he's pretty good. He's one of the legal experts I really like. And he explained 
No immunity for the former guy. So the big takeaway is this is a straight loss for Donald Trump. It's a unanimous loss by a bipartisan panel of very well-respected judges. And it's a loss for him substantively and procedurally. The substantive loss is not surprising. Donald Trump's claim by his lawyer was literally that the president can go and shoot people and kill his political opponents with no criminal consequences. That is to put it mildly, a crazy claim. That's what the court said. That's not surprising. What's a bit more surprising is that the court went out of its way to really talk about the allegations against him um, substantively. They said, for example, quote, Trump's alleged efforts to remain in power despite losing the 2020 election were, if proven, an unprecedented assault on the structure of our government. Unprecedented assault on the structure of our government. That's really harsh language by this panel. And again, it's, you know, Judge Henderson is on the panel. She's a leading conservative jurist. To say that, I think, is really remarkable. But here's, I think, the more important thing, just practically, the procedural piece. The court did something really smart. They said, Trump, you got to go to the U.S. Supreme Court by Monday. Otherwise, this case is going back to Judge Chutkin. He's going to run to the Supreme Court. And my gut is, given the thoroughness and well-reasoning of this opinion, and the kind of ludicrous claim that Trump's advanced on the other, that he's absolutely immune from all criminal laws. I don't think the U.S. Supreme Court's going to take this. I mean, they certainly could. Um, you know, they often take executive power cases. But if I had to put betting money on it, I don't think it's close right now. And I think the Supreme Court says no. This goes back to Judge Chutkin. And then she has the question, how much time is she going to give Donald Trump to prepare for his criminal trial for being an insurrection? Oh, please, please, pretty please. So that's Neil Katyal speaking just moments after the decision came down. And while I was waiting to hear back from uh, a potential guest who I had uh, reached out to to comment on it, I get a message from Marcy, Marcy Wheeler. And she said, you want to do a quick hit about the uh, immunity ruling? I'm like, yeah. So never fear. We get Marcy Wheeler. Today on the show. In fact, let's not wait any longer. <laughs> and, and we have a surprise. Well, we got a surprise ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals this morning. And Marcy Wheeler is here to help us uh, understand what's going on. So to paraphrase uh, Seinfeld, no immunity for you, former guy. <laughs> Right. Yep. But, uh, it, I mean, it's the ruling we expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after the wait and after the panic people were beginning to engage in, it's really the, the ruling that people should have been waiting for. Um, we, we fully expected that none of these judges were going to uphold his immunity claims, right? So there's, um, Karen Henderson, who is uh, a Republican appointee, I want to say Poppy Bush, mm-hmm. but I could be wrong. I think and so. then uh, Florence Pan and Michelle Childs, both Biden appointees. None of them were having this immunity argument. The, the, the point was, and my suspicion is the delay, the reason it didn't even take a full month. It took 28 days, four mm-hmm. weeks. Okay. Um, but the reason it took that time is because rather than issuing three three separate opinions. Um, it is a what's called pure curium, which means that there's no named author. There are there are points in the opinion where 
I can definitely hear things that Judge Henderson was saying, and I can definitely hear things that Judge Pan was saying, and some things that Judge Childs was saying. Um, but there's one voice, mm-hmm. uh, bipartisan voice, and that voice is quite strong against this notion of immunity. And so this is the kind of opinion that makes it somewhat more likely that the Supreme Court will just deny cert, meaning this opinion will be the law of the land. Right. And that's, you know, I was uh, flipping through the, the cable news channels this morning and I heard Neil Kotchell, um on, on uh, MSNBC saying that he would be surprised if the full court did take it. And he thinks, you know, if they reject it, that this could go to trial in the spring. Now, it won't be the what was it supposed to be March 3rd or something like that. That won't happen. He thinks because it was delayed eight weeks due to this appeal to the D.C. court that it could be delayed by eight weeks. But by May, uh, it could be going to trial. Right. Um, so there are three parts of this. There's four parts, one of which was a double jeopardy claim, which wasn't going anywhere. So that's not an important part, but mm-hmm. uh, it was part of the opinion. The three parts of the opinion, um, and I have a little table that you can stick up or something. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, the, uh, well, I've got a couple of posts in the last couple of days with that table, but they show that in the hearing, the judges, um, while they all agreed the immunity claim was garbage, they disagreed about important details. And those three important details are, one, whether they had jurisdiction to rule at all, uh, so for that, Judge Childs was pretty hesitant and the other and Judge Henderson had no doubt that they had jurisdiction and, and Judge Pan was sort of like, yeah, whatever, I'll make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, in the core claim, uh, go big or go blasting game, which is what I'm describing. Are we just finding that the president has no immunity? The, the former president has no immunity, period. Or are we finding that the president has no immunity for things that were not official acts? Let's come back to that. The third one, though, which gets into what uh, Neil Kachel was saying, is the timing. And this is this is one that a lot of people talked about. There's a just security post from weeks ago uh, talking about how this might game out. But Judge Henderson had originally said, I don't think we need to um, expedite this. Mm-hmm. And Judges Pan and Child said, yes, we do. And the way in which this decision was released, Trump basically has until Monday to file for a stay pending appeal with the Supreme Court. That's not much time, is it? I mean, in the scheme of things, do they usually uh, that's very quick. That's a matter of just five days or something, right? Six days. Yes, they are forcing a quick move on his part. And they're also, by the way, so so the way it works is uh the the um, mandate goes in effect. So the order goes into effect on Monday unless Trump uh, informs the court that he's appealing, stay wow. pending appeal at the Supreme Court. OK, so uh, the first thing they do is they say you got to act by Monday or else uh, Judge Cook, Judge Chicken. So while we have been waiting, Judge Chicken has presumably finished all the other motions to dismiss that were before her uh, back in December when she ruled. And so. You know, once she gets the mandate back, you're going to start to see a bunch of paper flying right away. One of those things will be a schedule. And, yeah, it'll probably say eight weeks from today mm-hmm. uh, we do this. We do the trial or eight weeks from, you know, we, we, we put everything out eight weeks. So we do all the same steps, but we do it 
uh, on an eight week lag. And so, uh, maybe I'm thinking June is probably more likely. Okay. But, but I'll take maybe it. <laughs> we'll, June is more likely if the Supreme Court denies cert. Right. Or if they deny a stay. If the Supreme Court says, great, we want to hear all about this, then they'll give a ruling by June and you still, um, depending on what, how much of it they have stayed, you still would have time for a trial maybe in, in August. Wow. Um, in a, in a hearing this week, Judge Chicken was talking about scheduling in a different case. Um, the, the guys at Politico, so Josh Gerstein and Kyle Cheney, are really good at just wandering into her courtroom to find out what she's saying about schedule. And, and she said, um, yeah, I've got, I'm scheduled to be out of the country for August, but looks like I may change my schedule. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, good. So anyway, um, so, First of all, Trump is going to appeal right away. Of course. Right? Uh, right. And then that puts it in the Supreme Court's lap. Um, one thing that the order did is say, if you appeal for an end bank, so if you go to the entire full panel, DC circuit, right. right, and say, we think this opinion stinks, can you review it? Um, this, the, the opinion only, the mandate only stays after they've voted. After they've granted you a review pending, uh, a review and bank. So in other words, and it's not going to happen. Like you've already got one of four Republicans mm-hmm. voting for this opinion. There's no chance you're going to have the votes to review this and bank. So that's not going to happen. So, so they've taken away one middle layer of potential delay. Oh, so that, and well, they, so he can't, I mean, he, I guess he could, but, but procedurally, this would just, the appeal would then go to the Supreme Court. It would skip over asking for a non-bank, uh, review right. of it. Okay. Right, right. And, um, uh, and so the Supreme Court, um, and this is not my forte, but I'm basing this on, like, as you said, Neil Couchell is weighing in, uh, Steve Vladek, who's one of the best in the business. Um, and as, as I understand it, with a four vote, with a vote of four people in favor, they'll review it. But it takes five votes to stay. Okay. Okay. So, you know, sure, we expect that Alito and Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas should recuse, but, you know, yes. he's a jerk, so he won't. We expect that Alito and Thomas will say, let us help, let us help the fascists as much as we can. But the question is whether, um, Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett would also join that. Um, who am I missing? Oh, Gorsuch. Yeah, Gorsuch. Right. Gorsuch um, too. So, so you pretty much need those five to get a stay. You need and, all five of them. And, and that's right. unlikely. I well, don't think Roberts. You don't know. No. You don't know. Um, but there's like, if, if people look at the opinion, um, it's searchable. There's, there's one key Kavanaugh precedent in there. And I likened where we're at to, um, people may forget this was 2021, but in 2021, uh, Trump tried to prevent the archives from sharing his papers with the January 6th committee. Right. And there it was actually, uh, easier to accelerate the appeal because he was asking to enjoin something. He was asking to prevent something like he was the one trying to prevent something. Whereas here he's the one, uh, you know, uh, Jack Smith is the one trying to prevent something. Um, and that appeal I showed, I think um, from memory, it took 74 days from, and it was judge chicken mm-hmm. from the day that judge chicken issued an order in, um, 
December, I think it was, to the day when the Supreme Court denied cert. And basically, and, and, and oh, by the way, the interim DC circuit opinion was all Democrats. So, you know, here, there you had a DC circuit opinion written by all Democrats. Um, it was unanimous, but it, but it was written by a judge. Whereas here, a per curiam has the advantage of it's, it's unanimous and speaking with one voice. It's a stronger position, in other words. Gotcha. And it includes Karen Henderson, who's very conservative. So, right. Um, so, so these are the kinds, like, rather than throwing three opinions up at the Supreme Court, one of which, in one of which Karen Henderson deviated from what the Democrats were doing, you've got one voice going to the Supreme Court. Um, <laughs> in, in this earlier appeal, right? So this mm-hmm. is, does Trump, uh, does Trump's claim, do, do, do Trump's claims of executive privilege trump Congress's, uh, interest in reviewing January 6th? In this appeal, Justice Thomas was the only one who said he wanted to take the appeal. Of course. But Justice Kavanaugh said, I might otherwise have taken this appeal, but because this is not a close case, I'm not. Ah. Okay. Uh, and, and, um, so, so that's the kind of thing optimistically that you might see. You might see the Supreme Court say, wow, this is a really good opinion. We can't better this. Um, well- Wow, this is, you know, and you might see, uh, again, you might, I, I fully expect Justice, Justices Thomas and Alito to do whatever they can do because that's what they do these days. <laughs> right. Um, but, but, uh, but, you know, I, I, like when they refused to take an accelerated appeal back in whatever, I think it was uh, December, uh, there were people who said they don't want to take this. They want, they want the DC circuit to deal with it. And so, if that's a right opinion, again, this is not my expertise, but if that's a right opinion, then things are falling into place for that to happen. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the timing. The timing is as good as we could expect. Uh, and it's it's timing with a unanimous per curiam opinion. And, and that really matters a lot. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, they should just issue this in a day. And it's like, no, you know, honestly, we are far better off having that per curiam opinion than having any space between Henderson and Pan and Childs. Now, the, the, de- the decision that this three uh, judge panel released was 57 pages long. And as you say, written in one voice, Marcy. And um, and maybe that's why it took relatively so long in the, in the big scheme of things. Four weeks or 28 days for um, an appeals court decision is not that long, but this is an unprecedented case. And uh, the other thing I was thinking is they wanted their uh, their opinion to be so strong that it would be more difficult. That would it be easier for the Supreme Court to say we're not going to take it up the lower court standing rules because they've covered all the bases and they spoke in such an author- authoritative voice. If, or d- definitive yeah, and, voice. And that's the idea. That's I mean, well, everyone is screaming, and it's like better to have a good opinion here, mm-hmm. uh, because it gives the Supreme Court less ability to weigh in, right, right, um, it, than to have something which shows any measure of uh, of disagreement within the three judges. Right. So Trump's um, campaign manager already responded, by the way, with the, the usual bullshit that you would expect here from uh, Stephen Chung, I guess the campaign spokesperson said prosecuting a president for official acts violates the Constitution and threatens the bedrock of our republic. President Trump, not president, former 
respectfully disagrees with the D.C. Circuit's decision and will appeal it in order to safeguard the presidency and the Constitution. That's almost semi reasonable response. But then it goes on to say deranged Jack Smith's prosecution of President Trump for his presidential comma official acts is unconstitutional under the doctrine of presidential immunity and the separation of powers. And that's where they jump the proverbial shark calling the prosecutor deranged in an official response from his campaign is does that color the way the courts look at it is it just they do they say this guy is just nuts and he needs to shut up already um well remember that they're also going to get the gag right (laughs) the gag permits criticism of jack smith but doesn't doesn't uh permit criticism of other people so um we're we're gonna i mean deranged jack smith Yeah, I mean, ultimately, judges uh, like judges. And in this case, I think that um, the Supreme Court was never, I mean, remember how many of his appeals they rejected. Like the Supreme Court never took any of his 2020 garbage. That's right. They knew it was garbage. Mm -hmm. And including one, by the way, the one that did get to the Supreme Court that was, was denied was a Texas case. And in that, he said, I am appealing in my in my position as office seeker, basically. So in that, he affirmed the logic that that goes on here. Um, You know, I I just think at some point, the Supreme Court is going to get fed up with Trump targeting them, which is what's going to happen next. And uh, they're going to become even less and less inclined to weigh in to help him out. So uh, the 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 other two uh, prongs of the opinion that I, that's in my table, if you put it up, yep. um, uh, one is, do they have jurisdiction? To some degree, there's less uh, chance that Supreme Court is going to intervene there, uh, one, because neither Trump nor Jack Smith disagreed that they had they had jurisdiction. Um, and two, if they decided, if the Supreme Court decided they didn't have that, that the DC circuit didn't have jurisdiction, it would just get bounced back to time the chicken and she could start her, start her trial right away. Right. Um, so that's one prong of it. The, the, the main prong, aside from the double jeopardy, which is garbage, um, the main prong is, um, is, is the president does, is there no immunity period? for a former president or are there limits to immunity? Okay. Right. So if you recall in the hearing, there was this question about um, could, could president Biden kill his adversaries order steals team six to kill his adversaries and then get pardoned. And as a result, be immune from having done that. Uh, And, um, and this opinion holds, as Chutkins did, that there is no immunity for either official or unofficial acts. And that's why that quote that you read uh, described presidential official acts. Right. But uh, but there's a footnote that may turn out to be really critical. There's It shows up in a few other places in the opinion. But in my most recent post, people can look at the footnote, footnote 14. Uh, in footnote 14, they, they basically say, because we rule that there is Categorically, that there is no immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to get into the question of whether 
the things Trump is charged with are official or unofficial acts. But we note that virtually all of them are are in his role as office seeker. Mm-hmm. You've uh, got that bolded that. there, right? Yep. Um, and because of that, then there's plenty here for him to be prosecuted for, even if uh, immunity only extends to unofficial acts. And so um, I, I likened in that post to language in the D.C. Circuit opinion on the on the um, on the archives appeal, where just Justice Kavanaugh said, I might otherwise uh, hear this appeal. In other words, if we were prosecuting Trump for killing his opponent with SEAL Team 6 as right. an official act, I might entertain that appeal. But given that both the district and the circuit have said uh, there, this is this is primarily unofficial acts. Um, I'm not going to weigh into appeal. If, if, if it happened just like that, uh, the, so that the um, Supreme Court decision not to take the case was back in January 2022. So two years ago, if they adopt a similar position now on a similar issue, which is January 6th, then um, it would not be surprising if somebody, Kavanaugh, who's really one of the critical swing votes, that he would not join in a five person vote to, to hear this appeal or, or maybe, you know, like you might see it should be a nine nothing. Right. Vote, it should right? Be. You might yeah. see seven two because, right. again, um, Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito nuts. Of course. Yes, yes they are. Uh, Marcy, well, there's one other aspect that I, that I, I don't know that, that has it weighed in on the official opinion uh, or decision. But um, it appears to me that Donald Trump is once again making threats. And I wonder if they take this into account, because what his position is, if the president needs immunity, if not, every president going forward will be slapped with these charges um, and, and prosecuted by the opposition party. Well, no, because in the 250 years or however long the United States has been here. We've had presidents. No opposition president has brought charges against a former president, a la Donald Trump's threats. He's the only one saying this because most presidents don't go around committing illegal acts. Right. And what he's saying is, you know, if this if if there's no immunity here, then what's to stop me when I become president again from leveling all these charges against Joe Biden? Right. And uh, you know what? He's going to do it anyway. Of course. If Donald Trump becomes president. I mean, look, like, you know, when Hunter Biden entered into a plea deal that wouldn't end up in prison time, Donald Trump and Jim Jordan and all of the maggots made sure, including by using threats mm-hmm. to reverse that decision. And now he's facing, uh, you know, 14 felony counts or now he's facing uh four felony counts and six other counts or something like that. I've lost track. But anyway, point is, uh, like the prosecution of Hunter Biden is as close you as you would find to a president prosecuting his adversary. It's already happening. That's right. You, have, you can have no doubt that Trump would find some means to prosecute Joe Biden if Trump, uh, you know, heaven, heaven forbid, if he won in in November. And so it doesn't matter. Those arguments are, are kind of ridiculous because the, Trump, I mean, Trump spent the, the Trump administration spent the entire administration investigating Hillary Clinton. That's right. For Clinton Foundation, for the John Durham investigation. And there I mean, was no there he, there. He literally spent four full years investigating Hillary Clinton. So the notion that this would be novel uh, is just absurd. 
the whole thing is absurd. I mean, his whole premise, the, and, and I wonder if his attorney, uh, and I'm drawing a blank because all I can think is Haba. Haba wasn't his attorney in this case. Um, was, you know, if he intentionally threw it by bringing up the SEAL Team 6 assassinating your political opponent uh, idea, because there's no way a court would say, oh, yeah, that's fine. A, a presidential candidate or a president could do that. It, I mean, I thought it was over with that statement or that line of of uh, argument. Yeah, and but these these lawyers, uh, and we should take a break and talk about Judge Engron in a, in a sec. But these okay. lawyers are doing what Trump wants them to do, right? He is deliberately like every time he 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 cycles. I mean, I, I keep going back. Joe Tacopina dropped off Trump's defense team right. in uh, in um, the the Eugene Carroll case the day before that trial, right? Right, and. Uh, you know, we still don't know why uh, Tech Pete is enough of a professional. He's not going to violate privilege to tell us. But I'm really dying to know why, because that pretty much guaranteed that Trump was going to, you know, add a couple zeros to the award that uh-huh. Eugene Carroll got. Um, and, uh, and it's the same with the defense attorneys, for the most part, that he has gotten in his criminal trials. And so. Uh, I, I think that it is a category error, error to assume that Trump is trying to win these criminal cases. I think he is trying to discredit rule of law in the United States, oh, and he's God. doing it in ways. That, and that's why these lawyers fit the bill for him. It's not like Alina Habas, you know, she was a disastrous lawyer on the Eugene Carroll case, but uh, but she was perfect for what Trump wants, which is uh, to discredit the ruling that, that came out. Wow. It is it is scary. So to recap, Marcy Wheeler is here on a Tuesday, a special appearance because we finally got the word from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, Donald Trump's claims of immunity are bunk. They said no unanimous bipartisan single voice ruling. Uh, Trump has until Monday to either file the appeal to the Supreme Court or not. Uh, in the meantime, we're still waiting on Judge Engeron, who is uh, we're waiting on his monetary award and penalty for Trump's fraud case in New York. Uh, except except a wrench just got thrown Uh-oh. in there today. What, what um, happened? This, this is this was reporting at the Daily Beast, actually. And um, and Adam Klosfeld, who has been laid off by the messenger closure, uh, is doing a post as well. Um, the New York Times reported in the last week that um uh, Weisselberg is, I think we talked about this on yes, Friday, that, is perjury. Is, is, uh, right? Yeah, is under discussion for perjury. So he just issued an order today, Judge Engron, saying, um, really, that's sort of interesting that he may have perjured himself. So I want you to tell me whether he did and how that affects this case. And so I think that, uh, you know, it makes it, because remember, we talked about this Friday that Don Jr. Uh, was in on the severance agreement. They mm-hmm. gave him a severance agreement and he started perjuring himself. And so that changes that I think gives Judge Engeron, uh, more leeway to rule. So I think they've got a day to weigh in on that, but, uh, new wrench thrown into the Judge Engeron ruling. Wow. So that may not be forthcoming any minute now as we had expected on Friday. Right. This is this. But again, it's the kind of thing where it might be even bigger or even more onerous because um, Trump is basically bribing 
his uh, his accountant to right his to, chief to, financial officer. I mean, he he was more than an accountant, right? He was the he was the guy at the Trump organization who dealt who who oversaw finances. And the hilarious thing about this is, um, it still comes down to the the lie he told before Judge Engeron, the clear lie. Um, pertain to the size of Trump's penthouse, right? <laughs> Which, like, you, you know, from, from 10,000 square feet from to 30,000, right? You know, for many of these claims, you really need to get into the weeds and understand real estate to understand, you know, here's the claim being made to the bank and here's, but, but not this one. This one, it's like one day Trump's penthouse. This is on, <laughs> this is in Trump Tower in New York. Mm-hmm. One day his penthouse is 10,000 square feet and the next day it's 33 square 33,000 square feet. And it, in, there is abundant evidence that Trump was personally involved in that and Engeron was personally involved with that. It significantly added to, uh, the value, his value. I mean, Weisselberg. Holdings. Weisselberg. Um, you, you said Engeron. And, and it's hilarious because it's an example of Trump being, uh, I mean, it partly was financial. There was a financial purpose to tell this lie, but partly it was just Trump wanting to be something he's not. And uh, so that lie brings Alan Weisselberg back before Judge Engeron, and that could significantly add to the uh, penalties on this case. And when you say it's Trump, it all goes back to his ego because he wanted to be on the Forbes 400 richest whatever list. And by inflating the size of his Trump Tower apartment from 10,000 square feet, which is pretty damn big on its own, to 30,000 um, that I guess that might make the difference, but it's bullshit. It's just bullshit. Uh, and and, you know, I'm hoping one of the outcomes of this w- will be that the Trump most sycophantic followers um, who think he can do no wrong will realize that the man's just a pathological liar that I don't think he's ever opened his mouth and said something that wasn't a blatant lie. And, uh, you know, the fact that so many people still give him a pass and think he can do no wrong Blows my mind, but maybe maybe this will be the thing that they finally have to say, oh, all right, maybe I was wrong about him. Although I'm not holding out much hope. This is the American public after all. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so so we probably won't get a decision from Judge Engeron in the next couple of days. I think we're probably pretty uh, confident of that. Is anything else coming down in the immediate? Because we're going to be off uh, on Friday. Uh, my, my kid gets in tomorrow night. So, um, anything else you're anticipating breaking big <laughs> while I'm off on a break? Well, I mean, there's, there's immigration, right? Like, oh, so, yeah. uh, um, in the Senate, they come out with an immigration bill. It flops immediately, um, because Donald Trump is demanding that it flops. And meanwhile, they're trying to impeach, uh, Mayorkas in the House. Yeah, and today and they're voting on that, right? Today, yeah. House, and, yeah. uh, you know, I guess maybe we should have waited until after that vote because, Right now, there are at least two Republicans who are voting against it, I think. And they don't have, you know, a lot of it is going to depend on how many people get back to D.C. for this vote. That's right. uh, You know, Republicans want to run, having decided, having come to grips with the fact that the Joe Biden economy is booming. They now have to find something else to run on and uh, and they want to run on the border. But right now they refuse to fix the border. You've got. Um, the Border Patrol Agents Union coming out in, in favor of it yes. and two Murdoch properties coming out in favor of it. 
uh, and because it's really conservative, but you know, like it's sort of like, here's everything you wanted in the border bill. And they said, no. Um, and they said no, partly because they don't want Joe Biden to have a win. And they said no, partly because enough of the Republican Party wants Ukrainians to die, that they refuse to uh, pass anything that has Ukraine aid in it, which this did. Um, and so we'll see how it how it flies. But, you know, I, uh, oh, oh, uh, um, but, but Republicans continue to, like, do nothing but impeach people. Right. And and and. and not even well at that. There was um, there's a clip that you should look for of Jonah Goose okay. uh, oh, inter- interviewing Mark Green, who's in charge of the Mayorkas impeachment from okay. the Rules Committee yesterday. And he reads this um, thing about how um, impeachment distracts from bipartisan legislation <laughs> and. He he says, how do you feel about this, Mark Green? And Mark Green's like, oh, I'm totally opposed to that. And Jonah Goose was really good. Jonah Goose is like, oh, well, that's funny because you wrote it. <laughs> you wrote it four or five years ago. Um, very much a clip you should include. So, oh, I will find like, that. Like they can't they can't tie their own shoes. And then the other thing, which didn't get any coverage except from me, is that Tony Babalinski, remember him? Mm hmm. Um, T- Tony Babalinski, who's like Fox News's favorite witness about Hunter Biden, was supposed to testify in impeachment yesterday and Republicans thought the better of it. So that has been postponed in impeaching um, in the impeachment of Mayorkas. No, the impeachment of Hunter Biden. Oh, so how can they impeach Hunter Biden? He never had I an official not. position. Hunter Biden, but oh. It's all about Hunter Biden. So they were <laughs> going to bring in Tony Bobulinski. <laughs> okay. And remember there, uh, Cassidy Hutchinson in mm-hmm. her book makes this allegation. It's really scandalous. Um, that in a, at, so first, um, Bobulinski is hosted by Trump at, um, at a debate on, October 21st, 2020. Okay. And he says, Oh, you know, Joe Biden was personally in bed with China. And then the next day, Bobolinsky goes into the FBI and, and makes claims that Joe Biden was personally involved with China. And then sometime later at a, at a, um, rally in Georgia, um, Cassidy is ordered to go set up a place where Mark Meadows can secretly meet with Tony Bobolinsky. And she's like, whoa, this is really stupid. Don't do this, Mark. They do it anyway. They set up this like four uh, secret service um, cover for them to go meet. And she describes uh, looking over at them speaking and seeing Mark Meadows hand t- Tony Bobolinsky something that might be an envelope. Um, and so basically what you what you've now got and this is backed up by the actual communications, what you now got is. Uh, Trump hosts Tony Babalinski. The next day he goes in and makes claims to the FBI that don't match the actual communications. And then uh, some days later, uh, Trump's chief of staff hands him something that could be a check or could be something else. Um, really scandalous stuff. So uh, co- go figure. Republicans thought that they probably shouldn't allow Tony Babalinski <laughs> to be questioned by uh, Democratic staffers. So that has been postponed. Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. You know, somebody there, I saw, I did, I didn't watch the show, but I saw on one of the news aggregator sites a headline about Rachel Maddow says the Republican Party is, is, 
basically imploding. It, 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 it's a shell of itself. Um, and, and I guess she's got a point there. I, and, and then, and then I see that same network, that same channel with their maps guy talking about the latest poll again and how it's devastating for Joe Biden. Uh, I guess anything can happen in this world that we're living in. Anything can happen. I just don't understand how it, it could even be tight it, with all everything going on around Trump, how uh, how anyone could vote for him. But I guess there's enough people who will to make it interesting. Yeah, there were um, there was one poll that came out today that showed that uh, Biden's voters are much more likely uh, to vote. And so uh, when you account for that, it's at least a tie. And then there were three more vo- uh, three more polls that came out today um, that showed that actually Biden is winning in a bunch of them. You know, what happens is uh, NBC or, you know, every time people get a poll that shows bad news for Joe Biden, these outlets run it. And oh, yes. every time you see a poll that shows good news for Biden, um, it, they're, they they're buried. But yeah. um, the polling is, you know, like uh, Israel continues to be a real problem for for young voters, for liberal voters. And, um, you know, yes, that's a problem. And yeah. that needs there there needs to be some resolution and some accountability for um, the, the 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 attacks on Palestinians, the extent of them. But, um, you know, which is not to say that the that October 7th goes without recourse. It's no. just like you've got people and people need to be accounted for on both sides. Of course. Um, and so that is one of the biggest problems in Joe Biden's funding. But in, in, in his polling. Um, but, I, you know, Trump's numbers are soft. Uh, Biden's there's more enthusiasm. So we'll see. You know, people I said I did this post the other day when people were panicking about not having the D.C. Circuit opinion which came out today. Yes, it did. And I said, you cannot do anything to make the D.C. Circuit rule more quickly. You cannot do anything to make the Supreme Court rule more quickly. What you can do is do something else to stave off fascism. And if you are sitting here wringing your hands over why the D.C. Circuit is not moving to your liking or why the Supreme Court is not moving to your liking, you are you are wasting time. Right. You're also doing more effective. You're also doing the rights bidding by amplifying just Agita by amplifying, you know, concern. Go, you know, make sure that your neighbors are going to vote. Make sure that people who understand the threat of fascism are voting. Make sure that you're registered because so many states are, you know, still purging their voter rolls. Make sure that your your registration is current so that when the time comes, you can vote. Um, There are are a lot of things we can be doing other than bitching. Make sure that your neighbors know that Trump is the one responsible for Dobbs. That's right. A lot of people actually don't know that. So the more people understand that Trump will continue to 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 uh, to reverse choice in in the United States, the more people will make sure that they shut the polls. Just make sure you don't make make yourself helpless by by, uh, you know, panicking about stuff in the trials. And as a result, waste time. Right. And panicking about polls, which for the most part, are meaningless at this point in the election cycle. They'll, they'll, they should give the candidates camps, you know, um, sort of marching orders. This is a group that needs attention. But to say, oh, we're going to lose and the whole thing is, you know, foobar is, is, is pointless at this point. So anyway, yeah, do everything you can. Leave it on the field.
That's it. Marcy Wheeler, thank you for jumping in on Tuesday. What a treat. Um, uh, and so I will talk to you a week from Friday if, if nothing earth shattering happens before. <laughs> We're going to be on again tomorrow before your daughter Probably. shows up. That'd be fine. Just bring it. All right. Take All right. care. Thank if you. I don't talk to you, have fun with your daughter. Will do. Thanks so much. Marcy Wheeler, everybody. And yeah, you know, it wouldn't be horrible if she wound up here tomorrow again. Uh, I do have somebody booked for it to come on tomorrow, but I can push him off if need be. Um, the thing is, we're not going to get Judge Engeron's ruling, which if you had asked me yesterday, I would have said that's a possibility. Anyway, Marcy Wheeler, uh, thrilled that she jumped in today because, you know, so much going on and that discussion we had. At the end about what we can do. I got to tell you, I was, um, uh, on uh, Sunday out in the garage because it was nice outside. I had the garage door open and I was working on this piece of furniture that I found. Um, I'll show you pictures of it in a little while if you want. It's gorgeous little, um, uh, buffet for the dining room that had two glass inserts, one of which was broken. So I had to replace it. Uh, so I'll show you that at some point. Anyway. I'm sitting there working on this thing and I all of a sudden I hear this woman talking to me and I look up and there's a woman and a young man who are canvassing. And this woman is running for school board uh, in the town where I live. I'm in Chandler, Arizona. And she went through her whole thing and, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, was telling me about she's a teacher and she's in it for the right reasons, but she, she wasn't getting into any specifics. So I let her do her whole spiel. And then I said, okay, so I get it. You're running for school board. That's a good thing. But what are your, you know, what are you running on? What is your platform basically? And I said, I'm asking because I just moved here from Florida and Florida has gone crazy. They're banning books and you can't say gay. And that, you know, uh, and she's like, I'm a progressive. I, uh, this is the reason I'm running because the Moms for Liberty and, um, oh God, what's the, the, I forget the name of the organization that's based here in Phoenix. Um, uh, the, you know, the, the kids, uh, I, I think I have a mental block up over them, about them. I can't think of the name, but it's fine. I don't need to, it's, um, now it's going to bug me. It'll, it'll come in my head when I'm trying, not trying to think of it. Anyway, she said, I'm fighting back against them. The Moms for Liberty and the crazies have candidates running. And that's why I decided to run. And then the young man who was with her, I'm thinking this is, her, this is her son, but it turns out it isn't. He's, he just graduated high school. He's now a freshman at Arizona State University here in Tempe. And one of his majors is political science. And he said, I almost ran for office. He just turned 18, just turned 18. Um, he said, but I figured it's more important to concentrate on my education and then I could do this. And so he's helping this woman. Her name is Xenia, um, go door to door and meet with people to explain why the school board race is so important. And I just, I, I fell in love with these people. We, we talked for a good half hour or so. And I, I wanted their information because both of them were the kind of people I wanted to have on the show thinking that this woman never ran for political office before as a school teacher. In fact, she teaches on a reservation in this area, uh, cause there's a lot of Native Americans here and, and, um, 
I loved her reasons for running and the fact that she just jumped in. She just made the decision, I think, in December to do it. And then the guy, uh, <laughs> you know, I was so impressed with him. He's 18 years old. Uh, he was familiar with, you know, Air America Radio and, and Progressive Voices. I think he's heard the show. I don't know if he's a regular listener. He was kind of quiet. And so um, <laughs> Rick Smith, you couldn't ask her. I did. I got both of their contact information on a piece of paper, stuck it in my pocket, did laundry that night. <laughs> you know where I'm going, right? Uh, their, their numbers and everything are, are all lost, shredded in the washing machine. So, uh, the young man, I think his name was Christian, but I could be wrong. It might have been Cameron, something with a C. And her name was Zinya or Zena. Um, and that's all I know. Uh, so um, if you guys are listening, I gave them my information, too. So I'm hoping they reach out to me. But the, the reason I wanted to have them on is to maybe light a fire under some of you in the audience who could also run for office. Now is the time to do it. School board is a great place to start because what the, the these right wingers, Moms for Liberty and the others are doing to our education is just horrendous. Now, look, I no longer have a child in school. And uh, David jokingly said, why should we have to pay to support the the schools when we don't have kids in the schools? You know, he was acting like a one of them. Um, good reason, because children are our future. I'm sorry, I won't break into song. But you know what I'm saying? It, What's happening to our schools is very important. And many, I, I know a lot of people, uh, in, you know, who are regular listeners of this show are, you know, my age, contemporaries. We've been around a while. Some of us are no longer working every day and you can run for office. So run for office. Yeah. So yeah. Neuro geezer is making a Ricky don't lose that number joke in the chat room. I get it. No, the minute, you know, I, w- we were out, we went out to, um, Max, David's son's house, his fiance for dinner. And I realized I put the stuff in the wash. It was actually Saturday, not Sunday. And the, uh, it was the middle of dinner. I'm like, Oh shit. Those phone numbers were in my pant pocket and they were in the washing machine. So hopefully, hopefully. Christian or Cameron or whatever his name is, is listening and will send me an email because uh, I want to convince everybody that you can run for office. Better to do something like that than, oh, let me see if I can find her name. I won't say her son's name. Uh, her name is Jennifer Crumbly. Does that sound familiar to you? Jennifer Crumbly is the mother of a... Uh, a kid in Michigan who um, was given a gun by his parents, Jennifer and I don't know what the father's name is. Uh, but, but anyway, what I'm getting at is here, Jennifer Crumbly today was found guilty of, uh, I think, involuntary manslaughter after her son murdered four students at his school in Michigan. Um, let me see if I can find it. Jennifer Crumbly, whose son killed four students at a Michigan high school mass shooting in 2021, has been found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. This is the first time a parent 
has been held responsible for a school shooting carried out by a child. And note, note the child, I don't know how old he is, probably 17 or so, this article doesn't say. And I'm not going to say his name because I try not to say the names of, you know, school shooters. But the mother is, is, is culpable in at least some respect. And this needs to happen more and more. We need parents who, first of all, these people gave their kid the gun. They should be held liable, right? I think so. Thank you. Kathy Turner found Zaina Prizhanovsky. Uh, yes, teacher Zania. Um, that's her. And now, uh, so thank you. Uh, that's definitely her. Um, and so I'm going to vote for her. She was great. And she's in it for the right reasons. And it's so funny. She didn't, you know, she's like, well, it's a nonpartisan race. I know it's nonpartisan. Um, and that's a good thing, except when the candidates go around trying to get votes and don't tell you that they want to ban books or want to do this, you know, a horrible things to our kids in school. So ask the questions when someone comes around to talk to you that they're running for office and ask for your vote. Be sure to ask them what they stand for, what they will fight for, why they're running. Because she had all the, the, the right answers. By the way, one other thing. Marcy mentioned Joe Neguse and uh, this, uh, in his taking on Mark Green, a congressman. Um, I found the video. The problem is it's really long. I couldn't find the clip. So to entice you to come back tomorrow. I will find it. Um, and if we don't have Marcy tomorrow, I will have that clip. And I'll edit it down so uh, you can hear it. But I, I did want to play one last clip for you. And it goes back to what a piece of crap the former guy is. So we saw last week the judgment against Trump uh, in the second defamation lawsuit brought by E. Jean Carroll. Well, her attorney, Robbie Kaplan, Roberta, her name's Rob, Robbie. She goes by Robbie. Um, did an interview, I don't know, with uh, George Conway and somebody else. But uh, Robbie Kaplan explained Donald Trump having a temper tantrum in the deposition. And he stormed out. Why? Because the the lawyers, Trump's lawyers, offered to buy her lunch as in the middle of this deposition. And he was pissed. Listen, listen to this shit. So at the first deposition, and, and he was really, it was a very different style of deposition because in the first deposition, I had all the evidence. I had him saying these lies on video. I had him signing the documents. I had receipt of all these millions of dollars to him from his company. And so it was just really confirming the evidence. And he realized as the case went on that kind of we had the goods on him. And he got increasingly unhappy as the deposition went on. He kept saying, as I recall, that it was like Tom Cruise selling a car and then you're in a car crash and you sue Tom Cruise. What I didn't say back to him is that would be true if Tom Cruise had an advertisement to sell a car and he said it has the best airbags in the industry and then there was an accident and the airbags didn't exist. (laughs) That's the kind of lie that Trump told, in which case you could sue Tom Cruise. So he's just getting increasingly irked uh, during the deposition. Imagine that. We're about mid-ish morning, 1130 or so, 
and I say something like, I didn't know what to call him, um, so I decided on Sir. So I said, Sir, <laughs> we have, uh, I just have one more topic I want to cover, and then we'll break for lunch, if that's okay with you. And he looked at me, and he said, well, why do we have to break for lunch? Let's just go straight through. This is a waste of my time. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I would do that, but we have a, a court reporter, we have a videographer, they're entitled to a lunch break, we have to break for lunch. And then you could kind of see the the wheel spinning in his brain. You could really almost see it. And he said, well, you're here in Mar-a-Lago. What do you think you're going to do for lunch? Where are you going to get lunch? And so I said to him, well, you know, I, I raised this question with your attorneys yesterday, sir, and they graciously offered to provide us with lunch. At which point there was a huge pile of documents, exhibits sitting in front of him, and he took the pile and he just threw it across the table. <laughs> of course he did. Because he was mad you did. were going to eat lunch? Because they'd offered us a free lunch at Mar-a-Lago, yeah. Right. No soup for you. That's right. Uh, 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 Rick in the chat room said. But it gets better because after he had this temper tantrum and threw just threw the papers all over the place because his lawyers said they'd buy the other side lunch. When they were leaving, Donald Trump said to that woman, Robbie Kaplan, E. Jean Carroll's attorney, see you next Tuesday. Well, she didn't think anything. She's like, she. they get in the car and she says, what was that about? Because our next um, hearing is Wednesday. <laughs> the other attorney said, he called you a pejorative. See you next Tuesday is um, shorthand or I guess longhand for a word that uh, I play the disclaimer at the beginning. It's a word I dislike intensely. I don't use it, but I know, look, Muttley is in the chat room from Australia. Uh, they, The Aussies and the Brits, I believe, use the word cunt uh, fairly liberally. <laughs> I don't, but see you next Tuesday is like an acronym for cunt. Donald Trump called Robbie Kaplan a cunt, but did it in the, in the manner that a, you know, an eight year old would do. He said to her, see you next Tuesday. This just shows the mentality. What a, what a crass, vulgar, horrible, sorry excuse for a man he is. Just, just. Oh my God! C U N T. See you next Tuesday. Oh my God! And poor Robbie Kaplan. She had no idea that what he was saying to her until the other people explained it. Oh my God! Yes, Chris uh, in the chat room. Trump only uses the best words. All right, I'm here tomorrow. Uh, and, and I have an interesting guest coming up. Happens to be a former boss of mine who I found on social media who's writing books. And his newest book is called The Story of... Um, the book is on the shelf over there. The Story of Your Life, Write Your Own Obituary. And I thought that's kind of an interesting concept. So we'll talk with Charlie Serafin. And, of course, if something big happens... Um, We'll talk to Marcy Wheeler again. Uh, and then I'm gone Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I've got shows like I tend to do. I pulled out 
shows. It'll be Marcy's first appearance on the show. We have Melanie, who who died just last week in the interview I did with her a few years ago. Um, we've got a bunch of good things coming. We will not be on the YouTubes on the video next week, but you can listen to the audio at ProgressiveVoices.com, NetrootsRadio.com, AirProgressive.org. A lot of stations carry us. Or come to NicoleSandler.com and get the podcast. No paywall. You chip in what you can, if you will. All right. With that, we're done. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you, Marcy Wheeler. No immunity for Trump, as it should be. All right. Have a great night, everyone. Hasta mañana. Peace out.